Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke. We find Jesus uh, and the disciples in, on the Mount of Olives, and he has been praying. He uh, has found the disciples asleep, and we move into a reading about his arrest. Hear now these words. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd appeared, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the human one with a kiss? When those around him recognized what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we fight with our swords? One of them struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And Jesus responded, stop, no more of this. He touched the slave's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come to get him, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me, as though I were a thief? Day after day I was with you in the temple, but you didn't arrest me. But this is your time when darkness rules. The Word of God in Scripture, the Word of God among us, the Word of God within us, Thanks be to God. Simon Peter uh, was a boy who grew up in a small town on the shore of a big lake. His father named John, he, he raised him to be a good man in more ways than one. He taught him the stories of his family and his people. He also taught him how to fish. And so as Simon grew up and, and uh, started to become a man, he, he found a, he had a wife and, and began to consider having a family, and he took up the family practice of becoming a fisherman himself until one day he was going about his work, and this man approaches him. And Simon can look into his eyes and see that something is, is different about this man. He claims to be a teacher Kind of a weird teacher at that. He, he tells Simon that he could teach him how to fish for people. There's just something inside Simon that stirs and, and says, go. And so he drops his net and he follows this man. For three years, he sits at his feet, learns everything he can. This teacher begins to make grander claims, and it's, it's clear that he's more than just a teacher. He's a prophet, but he's more than just a prophet. He could be the Messiah, this person, this figure that had been foretold, the, the stories that he had been told by his father of his people growing up, and the, the great prophets like Moses conquering Pharaoh, or, or the prophets like Elijah the King David, the Messiah would be greater than any of them. Could this be him? Could this be the beginning of everything? So Simon began to understand what he had signed up for. This was more than just following a teacher. He was joining a revolution, a liberation of God's people. So after three years, they enter the, town, the city of Jerusalem, and, he, and he's with this Jesus as he's turning tables over in the temple, and he's teaching and preaching in a way that the leaders and the Pharisees don't appreciate, and the people adore. And he sees the movement is growing. He knows this is the time. 
Then after a Passover meal, Jesus says to Peter, by this time his name has been changed, he says, Peter, disciples, go out and buy some swords. Peter knows what's about to happen. And then early one morning, not in the temple, but in a small grove of olive trees, Peter wakes up to see a friend leading a large group of men carrying swords and clubs, and he knows what time it is. This is when the revolution begins. He knows what he signed up for. So he grabs his sword and he strikes. But then what comes next? leaves him completely and utterly disillusioned, disoriented, confused. Jesus ends up arrested, and he ends up sitting by a fire later in the day, wondering who Jesus is. And asking himself, is this the revolution that I signed up for? We're continuing our series today called Searching for a Miracle, where we've been looking at the, the miracles, some of the miracles of Jesus found in the Gospels, and, and taking a second look, a closer look, to try to understand why these are miracles not meant to just be kept within the pages of our Bibles, but they're meant to be experienced and expressed in our lives today. And if you're joining us for the very first time or, or you're not yet in communication with us as a congregation here at AUMC, I want to invite you to go to arapahoumc.org new and to submit a, con submit a connection form there. I look forward to hearing from you and to reaching out and speaking with you. So thank you for being in worship with us today as we continue to search for a miracle. Today we look at the miracle of Jesus healing the ear of Malchus. The, the servant who remains unnamed in Luke's gospel, but we learn his name in the gospel of John. And even though, again, in Luke's gospel, it doesn't tell us which disciple strikes Malchus's ear, we know from other versions of the story that it was Peter. And isn't it always Peter? But Peter has a longer history, a, a bigger story than sometimes is captured in just one little vignette. And the story that I just told is something that we can piece together through the various nuggets that we learn of Peter's life in different places in our Bible. Peter was raised in a small fishing town and would have been told these stories of liberation that were a part of the Jewish heritage. And to understand why he does what he does and strikes with the sword, and to understand why later on he denies who Jesus is, we need to look closer at this text and to understand what's really happening here and why this, this final miracle before Jesus is arrested and crucified, this final miracle in many ways gives us a sign as to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. This is more than simply healing an ear. This is starting a revolution, but is it the revolution we signed up for? So let's walk through the text together. It says this, While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd appeared. 
And the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. So this would have been a, a, a natural social interaction in their day. What, what this is really setting up, though, is something that I'll call kind of a, 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 a mirror event. That's my own language. We see it frequently in Scripture where you kind of got God's side versus the enemy. Think about like Moses versus Pharaoh or Joshua versus Jericho or David versus Goliath where there's this smaller group of faithful people whom God resides with and, and allows to conquer over the enemy, right? We see this story over and over again in Scripture. This would have been a story that the disciples were familiar with, and that's what we're sort of setting up. There's Jesus in one corner with his disciples and Judas and the high priest and then the Pharisees and the temple guards approaching with swords and clubs. And so if you know these kinds of stories, there's expectations that come with them. We know what to expect in a story like this, right? Oh, Jesus is the good guy. He's going to conquer the bad guys, right? And then Jesus says to Judas, he says, Judas, would you betray the human one with a kiss? And then when those around him recognized what was about to happen, it says, and we're going to stop right there, it says the disciples saw this happen. They, they heard Jesus say, have you come to betray me? And they knew what was about to happen, the text says. But what was about to happen? See, what they knew was about to happen was they knew the revolution was starting. They knew that this Messiah, this King, the second coming of David, this one who was going to liberate all of God's people, they knew that this was going to be the start of this battle. Battle and bloodshed is what they'd come prepared for. They'd sold their items and they'd bought swords. We've seen how God battles and breaks opponents in the past. Our expectations are set if we're the disciples. And so then they say, Lord, should we fight with our swords? And they don't even wait for a response. Did you notice that? One of them struck the high priest's servant. Peter strikes Malchus, cutting off his right ear. A couple things here. First is that the name Malchus is interesting. It actually translates to mean my king. And perhaps that was the servant's literal name, or perhaps that was, this is in John's gospel where he's named. Maybe that's John's way of, of putting in an extra detail to say, do we see who Jesus is? Do we see Jesus as the right kind of king? Because the disciples certainly did. They thought that he was there to ride in on, in shining armor and to, and to lead them into victorious battle and, and conquest. But Jesus isn't that kind of king, the disciples probably thought this way in part because there was a relatively recent revolution that they had experienced in their land. About 150 years earlier, there was this thing called the Maccabean Revolt. It was led by a man named Judas Maccabeus who accomplished two things through violent revolution, which is the way that things were usually accomplished in those days. First, they were able to cleanse the temple of any and all um, Greek god and goddess uh, statues and images and to restore it back to its original purpose to worship the God of Israel. And secondly, as an occupied territory, they were able to reestablish their freedom of faith. Previously, they had not been allowed to worship in the ways that they wished. And, and through this violent revolution, the Maccabean revolt granted them this sort of liberation of religious expression. So this would have been quite the badge of honor for their people. And, and people like Peter, growing up as young Simon, would have heard stories about Judas Maccabeus. 
would have heard stories about their, their conquest and their victory. And so when they say, Lord, is now the time to bring out our swords, they are ready for the fight, ready to give their lives in the name of this battle. But then Jesus responds and says, stop, no more of this. And he touched the slave's ear and healed him, it says. We'll talk more about what this moment means for us in a little bit. But I can only imagine the feeling that came over the disciples, the feeling that came upon Peter when he saw this happen. What are you doing? This is the enemy. Malchus is the servant to the high priest. Lord, I am your servant. Peter's like a mirror to Malchus, and he sees Jesus choosing Malchus in this moment over him. So the story continues and says, Then Jesus said to the, Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come to get him, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a thief? Day after day I was with you in the temple, but you didn't arrest me. But this is your time when darkness rules. For days now, Jesus has been in the temple. He's been preaching and teaching. And the reason he's not arrested earlier is because we see in Scripture that the leaders know he's popular. His message is resonating. His movement is growing. So they can't arrest him in front of the crowds. The crowds will come over them. So instead they wait until Jesus and his disciples have retreated to a small grove of olive trees. And that's when they strike. Now, immediately after this story, Peter, uh, Jesus is arrested, possibly by Malchus himself, and led away to, to prison. And, and, and Peter is left alone, and, and there's this little vignette immediately after of, of Peter sitting by a fire and a woman recognizing him and saying, hey, aren't you the guy that was with Jesus? Or aren't you one of his disciples? And I mean, Peter was always right by Jesus' side. And he says, I don't know that man. Now, traditionally, we, we, we have heard that story told as though Peter is afraid afraid of being imprisoned, afraid of suffering the same kind of fate that Jesus will. But I wonder if Peter wasn't feeling fear. I wonder if Peter was just feeling honest. This moment when he, he sees his, his Messiah, his Savior, his teacher, his friend rebuke him and heal his enemy, and he asks himself, is this the revolution I signed up for? Is this the king that I've been following for three years? So maybe he meant what he said when he said, I don't know this man. Reality is, this is not what Peter thought he had signed up for. And so what can this act of healing, what can this moment between Jesus and Malchus teach us? As those who, who want to approach Easter, not disillusioned like Peter, but instead accepting and embracing that Christ is calling us into a different kind of revolution. How do we approach life moving forward from this miracle? The first thing that Jesus shows us through the miracle of healing Malchus, and, and I don't want us to miss this on the very like literal sense, is that we have to confront our culture of violence and division. When Jesus cries out, stop, no more of this, he is confronting a culture of violence and division, and Christ calls us to be about that same work. You know, 2020 brought a, a, a decline or a halt to a lot of things. You know, travel, right, dinner parties, um, 
On a more serious note, mass shootings were in decline in 2020. They were significantly down, and we're beginning to, unfortunately, it appears, return back to normal in that regard. Now, even though mass shootings declined significantly, gun violence as a whole, not even including suicides, but gun violence as a whole actually experienced one of the most significant spikes in recent memory. Gun violence was up almost 30% last year. In a year when we were supposed to be sheltering in place and and we were barely around one another, still gun violence dramatically increased. What does that say about our culture of violence? One of the reasons it may have gone up as much as it did is that gun sales increased like crazy amidst a, a political tension and turmoil that was boiling over. I don't need to rehash the last several months for you, do I? We live in a culture of violence and divisiveness, and, and, and Jesus is saying to us loudly and clearly in this text, swords do not usher in the kingdom of God. Swords that are meant to divide, swords that are meant to bring violence, swords that are meant to conquer through battle, those are not the tools that are used to usher in the kingdom of God. Can we allow Jesus' command to stop no more of this? Can we allow ourselves to hear that command, to feel convicted by it, and then to allow that command to spring forth from our lips as well? Secondly, Jesus calls us not just to confront a culture of violence and division, but to, to break the cycle through a revolution of love. Not the revolution that maybe we thought we were signing up for. This is a revolution that God is leading that is different from any other we may find upon the earth. There's not winners and losers. There's not us versus them. There's not liberation for some without redemption for all. This is a different kind of revolution. Most importantly, hear this, church. God does not establish God's kingdom by overwhelming a violence-ridden world with greater bloodshed, but rather instead through an incalculable sum of grace. There is no us versus them. There are no winners and losers. God's revolution is different. It's a revolution of love. Lastly, Christ calls us not just to see the big picture, but to understand the the small human interactions that help to spring forth a revolution like this. None of us individually are going to solve a gun violence epidemic in our nation. We can raise our voices, we can write, we can march, we can do everything in our power, but Christ calls us at the end of the day back to those interpersonal relationships, those one-on-one moments where the Spirit can come alive and this revolution can take hold. And Christ calls us to see Malchus, the Malchus in our lives, the servant of the enemy, the one of which we believe we are opposed like Peter, to see Malchus with the eyes of a sibling and to reach out with the hand of a healer. Peter saw Malchus as the servant of his enemy. Jesus saw Malchus as a fellow victim, just like Peter, a fellow victim of a culture of violence and division, just as worthy of redemption as Peter. Peter used his sword to attack Malchus in an effort to leave victorious, but Jesus reached out with a healing touch, knowing that Malchus's own hands would likely bind him and lead him to prison and thereby crucifixion. 
Jesus refused to see Malchus as the culture would have seen him. Jesus refused to reach out with a violent rage. Instead, he invited God's love to grow within the world, and he invited Peter and Malchus into a different kind of revolution together. Do you know the kind of revolution that Christ is leading? It's not like any other that we've known before, my friends. It requires more of us. It demands all of the grace that we can give. It offers liberation, true, soul-restoring, justice-making, kingdom-of-God-sized liberation, not just for some, but for all. It's a revolution of love. It's a miracle on the threshold of Easter. Are you ready to join the revolution? Amen.